Hello, Family Worship Center. We're so glad you're here today, and we're joining us here on um, live stream, FWC live stream online. We're so glad you're here. Boy, aren't you, um, aren't you ready for spring? I tell you, I thought we were going to get spring, and then all of a sudden this rain and cool weather has dipped right back in, and uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm just ready for warm weather, and I know you are as well. I'm, I'm also ready to get back with the church family. I, uh, we appreciate all the people all over the world that are watching our services every Sunday morning, but I sure do miss personal, upfront faces. I miss my people here on Sunday morning. Uh, it, uh, uh, it gets old preaching to empty chairs. It reminds me of when I first started out in ministry. I, I preached to empty chairs. Nobody wanted to hear me speak. Uh, so empty chairs motivated me. I had to do better. So when you get back, I'm going to preach like Jensen Franklin. When you get back, I'm going to preach like T.D. Jakes, Tony Evans, and what's that guy's name? Fur, furfic, fur, furtic. I'm going to pre- I'm, I'm have tattoos and skinny jeans. I tell you, when you get back, I'm going to be a different man. So, can't wait to see you. And if you believe that, I've got some beachfront property in Arizona for you. Listen, if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Wherever you are in your living room, around your kitchen table, if you're on your phone, in your office, driving down the road, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse number 2. James chapter 1, verse number 2. I'm reading now the New Living Translation, and it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, when troubles, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing Nothing. Now, hold your finger there and turn over to First Peter. Turn a few pages uh, to First Peter, chapter six. Just a few pages toward the end of the book. First Peter, chapter six, or First Peter, chapter one. I'm sorry. First Peter, chapter one, verse six, verse six and seven. The apostle Peter says this. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Today, uh, this Sunday, marks the sixth, one, two, three, four, five, sixth weekend that Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, has been under government order to shelter at home. And for the past six weeks, many businesses deemed non-essential have closed And employees have been laid off or furloughed. Six weeks now. Schools have closed for the remainder of the year. And all uh, related activities have been canceled. All sporting events 
have been canceled. Professional, college, high school, all little leagues and Babe Ruths and softballs and, and, and soccers. Most of that has been canceled up to now. Millions and millions of dollars have been lost. I thought about it just yesterday. One year ago this weekend, one year ago this weekend, over 500 people crammed into downtown Nashville to be a part of the NFL draft. Yet this weekend, downtown Nashville and all the venues down there are like a ghost town compared to last year. Amazing the difference in one year. Public church services for the last six weeks have been prohibited for the first time since 1918, the year of the Spanish flu in the United States. Popular spring break destinations are all empty. Cruise ships are docked without passengers. National airlines have canceled flights, and restaurants and small businesses are doing everything in their power just to hang on and not go broke. Nursing homes are off limits to family members, and the paste of the patients and hospitals have drastically limited their services to make room for the coronavirus patients. Families have been unable to properly memorialize the passing of their loved ones. This is a sad scenario that when a loved one dies, families cannot properly memorialize the passing of their loved one. It's a tough time. Our governor, and we're excited to hear that our governor is beginning to open up parts of our state to business and activity this coming week, but our excitement has been tempered by um, the fears of reoccurrence of this virus spread and, and so many questions that people do not have answers to. So there seems to be an excitement that people want to have, but at the same time, it's very tempered because we do not know what's going to happen next. We are definitely living in confusing and difficult days. We're experiencing a lifestyle and cultural restrictions which I've never seen in my lifetime. It seems like we still have more questions than answers. And the call I continually hear is to cry to get finished with this thing. Let's get this thing over with. I'll be glad when this thing is over with. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the desire to move past COVID-19 and have our normal lives back is being heard everywhere. In people, in fact, even uh, just in these last two weeks, in the major cities of the United States of America, and, and you've probably seen it on social media and in the news, is that people are taking to the streets in the major cities, demonstrating, asking, and demanding that restrictions be lifted so people can go back to work, pay their bills without losing their jobs, and things of that nature. I'm, I'm likewise ready for it to be over. I, I knew, I knew we were on virtual, we were on the verge of cultural collapse when ESPN started showing cornhole competition as a viable sports programming alternative. When that showed up, I knew our culture is getting ready to collapse. We're going to back to redneck veal in America. 
I love the movie The Shawshank Redemption, but I've really gotten weary of watching my friend Andy swim through sewage en route to freedom. He gets out every time I've watched it. It's an amazing movie, but I'm really getting tired of watching it. And I've watched so many episodes of Moonshiners that the other day I was in the backyards looking at the, the woods that butt up to our backyard and I, first thing that popped in my mind, that'd be a good place for a steal. That would be a good place for a steal. It's time for this thing to be over. Last week, I shared a very familiar verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to His purposes for them. Notice what it says, and we know. That God causes everything to work together for the good. As we have learned through these last six weeks, God is not the author of confusion, and this coronavirus does not have God's DNA. The coronavirus is stealing, killing, and destroying. That's Satan's DNA. That's the DNA of Satan and sin. So this virus was not sent by God. And though the coronavirus is not God sent, God will use the things we are experiencing to work in us and bring about good in our, our lives if we allow him to. Let me, let me say that again. God will use the things we're experiencing, we're going through right now, to work in us and bring about good in our lives if we allow him to. Go back to Romans 8, 28. I'll give you a minute to turn over there. <clears throat> Romans 8, 28. And we know. What do we know, Paul? What do we know? Paul wrote this. He said, we know. Notice, notice there was the understanding. He said, we know. He's, he's not teaching a new truth here. He's reminding them of something that they already had as part of their theology in their spiritual formation from days gone by. He said, we know. This is something we understand. And I'm uh, concerned that a lot of Christians in America today, in modern culture, we don't know this truth that everything, good or bad, God wants to use it to teach us. He didn't send all the bad stuff, but he wants to teach us in the midst of this bad stuff. And that's what Paul said. He said, we know, we have an understanding that everything that comes to us is working for our good of those who love God. I like to say it this way. God will use everything that comes our way to mold us into his image. Though the circumstances may be destructive at times, God will work something in us and through us that it will eventually be good and make us better. So with that being said, what is the COVID crisis squeezing out of you? What is this six weeks of unusual, confusing, difficult time, what is it revealed in you? During the last six weeks, have you spent all of your time in fear, complaining and blaming, or are you allowing God to use this situation to slow us down and reveal some things in our lives that He wants adjusted and corrected? What is COVID-19 revealing about you? 
We know what it's revealing about the situation. It's of the devil. But what is the difficulties and the discomfort and the disruption? What is it revealing about you? Do you view this coronavirus shutdown simply as a wasted season? A disruption of your great life? Or can you start seeing some areas in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to shift and change? If you can see some areas in your life that God is directing change, then God is working in this for your good. Let's go back to that verse we read earlier. James chapter 1, verse number 2. James chapter 1, verse number 2. James says this, Dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to Christians, people who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now that's one of what I call one of those double-take verses. You say, say what? What do you mean? Consider. Notice what he says. When trouble comes of any kind, consider it an opportunity of great joy. Yet many of us have considered it an opportunity, but most of us is not a great joy. We've taken it as an opportunity to be consumed by fear. Others of us have spent it as an opportunity to vent our frustration. Others of us have used this as an opportunity to complain and blame about the government authorities. And unfortunately, I'm watching and listening to many Christians using COVID-19 situation as an opportunity, but it's not an opportunity that the Holy Spirit tells us to use it for great joy. Many are not experiencing or using it as an opportunity to experience great joy during this time. James 1, 2, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come of any kind, your way considered an opportunity of great joy. Have any time during this last six weeks, you and I woke up and our feet hit the floor and said, boy, this is an opportunity. I'm not going to work today. I'm probably not going to get paid today. I don't have enough toilet paper today, but I consider it great joy. Have any of us really done that during this six weeks? You say, an opportunity for joy for what? An opportunity of joy for what? Well, look what he says in verse 3 and 4. James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. James 1, 3 and 4. He says, for you know when your faith is tested. Why should we consider it an opportunity of joy? Because he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Every day... We should work to view this miserable, uncomfortable, and tough situation as an opportunity to grow in endurance. And as our endurance grows, our spiritual maturity grows. When this thing is over, and it's going to be over, when this thing is over, when COVID-19 is behind us, if you and I have not grown spiritually, We have missed God's desire to work good things in us. If we look back on this situation a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, and all we talk about is how terrible it was, instead of also seeing that God changed me during that, God revealed some things in me 
to me during that. God opened up some things in my life that I needed to adjust and shift and change during that. And if I hadn't have gone through that difficult situation, I wouldn't have known that this. I wouldn't have changed this. If we don't have at least that part of the equation in our reflection as we think about this years down the road, then we've missed this opportunity to mature spiritually and grow in our faith. Listen to what Peter says again. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 7. These trials, these trials that we're going through right now, will show you that your faith is genuine. These f- trials, he says, will show you that your faith is genuine. Trials and tribulations reveal the strength and depth of our faith. Let me repeat that. Trials and tribulations reveal the strength and depth of our faith. It's easy to have a joyful spirit and be positive when your body feels good. It's easy to have a full of faith when you have plenty of money in the bank. It's easy to have a joyful spirit when your job is secure and your family is drama-free. It's easy to be full of faith then. But see, trials and tribulations That is what reveals the depth of our faith. He says, these trials show us if our faith is genuine. So, if somebody put a measuring barometer on your life and your spiritual maturity over the last six weeks, and he said, according to how many times you complained and blamed, that would measure the level of your faith. Would you pass the test? Would I pass the test? The test. Some days I would. Unfortunately, some days I wouldn't. So, what is COVID-19 squeezing out of us? What's it squeezing out of you? I want, let me, let me, I'm going to tell you what it's squeezing out of me, but before I tell you that, I want to share with you a blessing from this COVID-19. A blessing that came in the midst of this thing. Turn with me back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 16. Jesus is talking. And this is what he says in verse number 13. He says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He says, when the Spirit of truth, he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Understand the Holy Spirit only operates in truth. He only operates in the environment of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And look at this last sentence. He will tell you about the future. Jesus said one of the benefits of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is that he will inform you, he will tell you about the future. Early on in my walk with the Lord, I fortunately learned to understand that my relationship with the Holy Spirit was not just an experience. It's a relationship. My, uh, I understand that the Holy Spirit is not just an experience, it's a relationship. When the Holy Spirit is mentioned in some church circles, their knowledge of the Holy Spirit is limited to the experience that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And that day was a fantastic experience, which has been repeated in some measure thousands of times in people's lives since the day of Pentecost. But listen to me. 
The Holy Spirit must be more in our lives than a spiritual experience. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit must be more in our lives than a spiritual experience. He was sent to be our helper, our daily holy helper in life. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes to earth, which he did on the day of Pentecost, one of the ways he will help us is by providing insight about the future. He will tell you about the future. Years ago, Amanda and I grabbed hold of this promise, and it has been been a continual declaration of our lives. We will not be caught off guard. The Holy Spirit will show us things to come. That's what we proclaim over our lives and over our family every single day in our prayer time. Lord, you will show us things to come. We will not be caught off guard in life. Right after Christmas of 2019, at the beginning of January 2020, I started getting an impression, a stirring on the inside that I needed to sell some things. I don't have any hobbies, unfortunately. I don't hunt and I don't fish. I I do not golf. I used to. Uh, it, it just stopped being a challenge. When you're you, when you shooting 10 under at putt-putt, it's no more a challenge anymore. So, so I gave it up. I enjoy sports and I enjoy travel. But as far as spending money continually on a hobby, I, I just don't do it. Uh, but over the years, I've collected some things which had some value that I enjoy collected. And I told Amanda four months ago, I said, I'm, I'm sensing that I need to sell some things. And just put the money back. And she said, why do you want to sell that? Those are things you love and you've enjoyed. And, and you enjoy studying about them and learning about them and hearing about them and searching for them. And you've, you've saved money over the years to buy some of these things. Why in the world would you want to sell them? I said, I don't know. I just, I just Something's telling me I need to sell them. I just started sensing that. Within two weeks, those things were sold. And four weeks later this shutdown began. That money that I'd put back that I didn't know what for and why I was sensing to sell some things, that money has helped our two children since both of their incomes have been gravely affected during this season. One of our children who owned their own business hasn't received a paycheck since the end of February. But that money that the Lord enabled me to have put back has been able to help them pay their bills during this season. See, John sixteen thirteen, Jesus says, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, He will tell you about the future. One translation says, He will show you things to come. Now, let me tell you the flip side of that. Three months ago, before COVID had gotten close to the United States, Amanda said, you know, I... You know, you, you, you felt stirring to sell some things. She says, I have a stirring. This is the way it always works. I have the stirring to get money. She has the stirring to spend money. Uh, that's the way it always works, and some of you men out there can understand what I'm talking about. She says, I have some, uh, you had a stirring to sell some things. I have a stirring to go buy some things. I said, oh, you always have that stirring. What's what's different about now? She says, no, in all seriousness, something keeps telling me to go buy some paper products and non-perishable items and just put them back. Just put them back. I said, what are we putting them back for? This is not um, the 2000 thing. 
uh, Y2K. We, we're not, we're, there's nothing like that going on. She says, I don't know, Eddie. She says, I just know in my prayer time, I'm having this urgency to go immediately and buy some things and put it back. I said, well, you just follow your heart. Follow your heart. For the next three weeks, she came home from the grocery store with extra stuff. Toilet paper, paper towels, and non-perishable food items. I opened one of our closets one day and saw all those things and hollered out, we'll never have to buy toilet paper ever again. And I was thinking, why in the world? I was thinking in my mind, why in the world? Holy Spirit, would you tell her, are you, is she lost something here, or was this the Holy Spirit? Well, COVID hit less than a month later, and the shutdown was announced. And the first thing that grocery stores ran out of, crazy as it seems, was toilet paper and paper towels. Amanda told me this week, we have about enough. We have three weeks supply of toilet paper left. (laughs) About the same time the shutdown is ending, our toilet paper is running out. Listen, the Bible says in the Old Testament, the cruise of oil for the widow did not fail. And I want you to know your toilet paper won't fail in this COVID situation. I know that's funny. And if If you're listening, you think that is funny, and I understand that's funny to me. And it might be silly, but to our family, it was another instance in which the Holy Spirit was preparing us for things to come. When other people have been rushing and acting like fools, grabbing toilet paper and paper towels, our need was supplied because we, the Holy Spirit, revealed it to us before we ever got there. He is a friend. He wants a relationship with you. So what is COVID squeezing out of you? What is the COVID-19 situation squeezing out of us? Well, it revealed to us a blessing, first of all. But it also has squeezed a lesson out of me to help me grow. Look what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, of any kind of your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Can I be honest with you? During these last six weeks, there's an area in my life that has needed adjustment. Now, I know some of you that know me will say, well, uh, you, you just seeing it now? There's been a bunch of areas in your life that needed adjustment, and I, pr- I appreciate your prayer for that. But really, just during the last six weeks, the Holy Spirit, God has revealed, something has been squeezed out of me that I was completely blind to. The COVID situation has revealed this area that I need the Lord to help me with. And here it is. Philippians chapter 4. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, a few chapters over from where we were in John. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. The Apostle Paul here is speaking. Jesus was speaking in John about the Holy Spirit. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says this. Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. I'm reading out of the Living Bible. He says, How grateful I am 
and how I praise the Lord that you are helping me again, talking to the Christians at Philippi. I know you've always been anxious to send what you could, but for a while you didn't have the chance. Not that I was ever in need, Paul said, for I have learned. What did you learn, Paul? I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned. What have you learned, Paul? I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation. Whether it be a full stomach, I like that, or hunger. Plenty or want. For I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians at Philippi, thanking them, thanking them for their generosity. They had, they had sent him some provision and some money and some goods to help him. The unique thing about Paul's message here that he wrote, this that we just read, the unique thing about it is that he wrote this while he was quarantined. He wrote this message when he couldn't get out. In fact, he was unable to get out because Paul wrote this verse about contentment while he was incarcerated in the jail in Rome for preaching the gospel. Paul was stuck. He couldn't get out. The government authorities had locked him down. And yet he writes something amazing. He says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, to be content. He says, not that I was ever in need, verse 11, for I've learned, I've learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. What did James say? Consider it joy. Paul says, I've learned to get along happily, whether much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. The self-discipline of contentment is an area of my life that COVID has squeezed out and I found myself lacking. We've been so blessed. We are so blessed and spoiled in the United States with options and opportunities that most of us have forgotten what it means to be content. The word content or contentment means satisfied, having enough, sufficient. Contentment means satisfied, having enough or sufficient. Many times we don't even realize, we do not even realize that our actions are based on a lack of contentment in our life instead of real need in our life. We have so many options of restaurants to eat at in Rutherford County, yet we will find reason to complain because we can't find no place to eat. And we can't find anything new. That's a lack of contentment. Some have found themselves in difficult credit card debt and have nothing to show for it simply because they got bored and went out and spent money on things they did not need. That's a lack of contentment. Many of us go where we want to go. We do what we want to do. And when we get tired of that, we go and do something else. Sometimes we mistake that liberty and prosperity as a blessing, when in some cases it's just a lack of contentment. We are struggling 
being satisfied. Suddenly, seven weeks ago, the going stopped. And we have complained and blamed ever since. In reality, it's revealing our lack of contentment. The Apostle Paul, writing from quarantine, says something very interesting in Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily. And then he says something two sentences down. I have learned the secret of contentment. Verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation. Twice, two times in these two verses, the Apostle Paul tells us that contentment is a learned discipline. It's a learned discipline. In other words, contentment does not come automatic equipment when we get born again. When you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, it doesn't list their contentment. Contentment is a learned discipline. It's not a gift. We have to learn to be content. And the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. What is the secret? Contentment is an attitude we learn, not a thing we achieve. That's the secret. Contentment is an attitude we learn, not a thing we achieve. I hear people say, if I could get a job over in so-and-so, I'd be happy and content. Or they'll say this, if I could get one of those trucks or one of those cars, I know I'd make me happy and I'd be content. Or I've heard... Women say this, if I could just have another child, just one more child, I would be happy and content. Or if I could live in this city, I would be happy and content. Or if I could do this in ministry, I I will be happy and content. Understand, contentment does not have anything to do with our external circumstances. Contentment doesn't have anything to do with what we have, what we buy, where we live, what we do. Contentment is about what God is doing on the inside of us. Contentment does not have anything to do with our external circumstances. Contentment is all about what God is doing on the inside of us. Paul says, I've learned to be content. He said it while he was under order to shelter in prison. He couldn't get out. He says, I've learned to be content. Now, uh, so, so this stuff has been coming out of me. I, I realize I, I'm, I've been lacking in contentment. I'm, I'm like a, like they used to say, a, a cat on a hot tin room. Some days I just walk the floor. I just walk around the house. I'm just nervous that I've got to go somewhere. I've got to do something. I've got to accomplish something. I gotta, and I've realized a lot of it's just a lack of contentment. So I've asked the Lord, Lord, show me how to be more content. I want to be like Paul. Whatever state I'm in, I'm, I'm happy. Whatever state I'm in, I'm joyful. Whatever state I'm in, I want to be content. Show me how to be content. So how do you do it, Lord? And this is what the Lord showed me. Number one, steps, simple steps to contentment. Number one, practice gratitude. Every day, practice gratitude. Make a habit of thanking God continually for what you have instead of focusing on what you do not have. 
Make a habit of thanking God continually for what you have instead of focusing on what you do not have. Make a habit of thanking God that you are able to be alive, you have food, you have shelter, while you're having to stay at home instead of complaining about where you can't go and what you can't do. Practice gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 and 18 says, uh, or, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, 7, 16, 17 and 18, yeah. It says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've learned to be content. How do we do that? By practicing gratitude. Be thankful in all circumstances. Number one, practice gratitude. How do I learn to be content? Number two, remain teachable. Remain teachable. Ask God what he wants you to learn in this present circumstance instead of always telling him how you want things to change. Ask him. Tomorrow, when you get up and can't go where you want to go, say, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? What do you want to show me today? What are you revealing to me today? Instead of getting up, praying, Oh, God, I bind this thing. I rebuke this thing. I I come against this thing in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, you've done enough of that. Now it's time to ask God to reveal some things through this situation about you. Remain teachable. Ask God what He wants you to learn in your present circumstance instead of constantly telling Him the things you want changed. As long as we're constantly focusing on what we won't change, we'll miss the lessons that God wants to teach us in our present circumstances. Paul says, I've learned to be content. How did you do that, Paul? He practiced gratitude. Every You can go through the New Testament books, and where Paul was in prison, he always started out his letters to all the churches. I want to thank God for you. I thank God for this. I thank God for that. God, Paul was practicing gratitude. He was remaining teachable. And then thirdly, if you want to um, learn to be content, refuse comparison. Refuse comparison. Stop comparing yourself with everybody else. Stop comparing your situation with their situation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, God says they are not wise. I've learned this, comparing myself with other people does one or two things. It either lifts me up in pride, making me think I'm better, or it makes me ungrateful for what I have. When I compare myself with others, it either lifts me up with pride, making me think I'm better, God hates the proud, or it makes me ungrateful for what I have because I don't think I have as good as somebody else, and I become very ungrateful. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. How did he do it? He practiced. He practiced gratitude. He remained teachable, and he refused comparison. He didn't compare himself with anybody else. It's easy to see people who are getting 
paid and getting to stay home during this and and start comparing yourself with their situation it's easy to see people that's got money in this situation a lot of wealth and this situation hadn't touched them at all it's easy to get your eyes on those people and and get very critical and get very cynical and you say well my situation's not like that and 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 that's just wrong just thinking that way doing that comparing yourself is wrong it will cause you to be discontented instead of contented. We're at six weeks, and we've, we are, we're coming out of this situation, and we're excited about that. But if all you can look back on this situation and say how terrible it's been, instead of looking back and seeing how God has wanted to work in you, you've really missed your opportunity to grow in faith. It's not too late. Take a review of your life over the last few weeks. Do just a short evaluation and find out some things that God's wanting to reveal about you so that your faith can be genuine and you can grow in your endurance. We love you here at Family Worship Center. I want to let you know that we're monitoring the situation every single day, multiple times of day. Hopefully in the next month, we'll be able to have some type of public worship service here at Family Worship Center. We're, we're, we're looking forward to that, but we're monitoring it every day, and we promise you that we'll not get back together again until it's safe, until it's safe for everyone. Every day, we're looking at different options. This is what we can do. We sh- maybe we could do this. Maybe we could have this many to come. We're exploring all types of options. We want to get back to church as soon as we can. But at the same time, we want the health and the prosperity and the blessings and the safety of our church family to be first and foremost as pastors and leaders of this wonderful flock. I want to encourage you to go out and have a good week this week. You say, well, I'm stuck at home. Call somebody on the phone. Get online. Email a word of encouragement to somebody. Text somebody a word of blessing and and, and encouragement. I guarantee it, it'll make their day. We love you. Let me pray a blessing over you right now. Father, I speak blessing over the Family Worship Center congregation that are watching, and not only them, but missionaries who watch us all over the world, friends in other states who watch us. I speak blessings over you. No evil shall befall you this week. No terror can come nigh you. The angels of God will encamp about you to keep you in all your ways. You are a blessed people. You have favor with God and you have favor with man. Now go and be fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.